Thank you, Andres, very much. Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you very much, Dana, for reading so clearly, and it was great to hear some of your some of your sort of story and, and testimony. And I, I bet you feel that the passage speaks to you <laughs> too. And as you, as you reflect on how it is to to make your way as a as a young conductor, uh, welcome especially to those who are, are new here for the first time. A very warm welcome to you. Um, we all know that an example matters, don't we? As Andre said, you know, those of us who are parents or those who remember being children and looking up to the grown-ups, remember those times uh, when we feel that there is a, a, a sort of disc- inconsistency. Um, of course, as parents, those who we are the parents, uh, know that we have to teach our children all sorts of things, how to use language well, and how to sit at the table, how to be polite outside of home, not picking nose, etc. But at the end of the day, our children will do only what they see in us. Example matters. So school teachers, example matters. University professors, example matters. Government officials, again, example matters. It is very, very upbuilding when life matches the words. And it is destructive when it doesn't. Think of Boris Johnson's Johnson's COVID um, wine parties some times ago. Just just do you remember, so many people, so many people couldn't say goodbye to their loved ones in UK because of the government policy, right? They couldn't get into the hospitals to pray with their their elderly parents or or whatever. Meanwhile, they themselves assembled freely over a drink in the parliament. So what we say, not what we do, uh, sorry, do what we say, you know, follow our policy, not what we do. And we know example matters. Now, especially example matters what it concerns the church. So there, if it is, it's very, very upbuilding when the leaders, the pastors, are doing well. You know, when, the, when their life matches uh, their words. And it is sad, and it's even devastating when they fail, when they fall into various scandals, or abuse, or immorality. Now, in our 1 Timothy series, we have seen that Christians are called to live consistent lives. Paul is writing to this pastor in the church in Ephesus so that they would know how to conduct themselves as Christians. And why was that important? Why did they have to know that? Because the church is a visible display of the gospel truth. Now, what was that gospel truth? In his first trustworthy saying in 1 Timothy, Paul focused on the gospel. Just go on to 1.15, chapter 1.15. That's the first trustworthy saying, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. So Paul expected then the Christians would desire the same things. Because God is the saviour of all people. They too should pray for the salvation of all people. 
Now, in the second trustworthy saying, Paul focused on the gospel and godliness, godly living. He expected that Christian lives would become this, if you remember, the splendid IKEA showroom for all people, for the gospel to be seen, a pillar and a buttress of the truth in this world. But in this third trustworthy saying, last week, Paul focused on godliness alone. Godliness meaning pleasing devotion. Just glance at chapter 4, verse 8. Do you remember while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, a quick detour here. After the last Sunday's sermon, Annette came up to me and asked a question. She said, well, can you put it in a sentence? In what way exactly godliness is of value in this life and also in the life to come, in eternity? Which I think is a great question, and I am really sorry I didn't answer it clearly last Sunday. So here is my answer in one sentence. Why? Because godliness is the best way to live in this life. And it is the only way to the life to come. Okay? It is be the best way to live now. And it is the only way that will get us there. A quick explanation. So pure devotion, pure devotion, godliness. Pure devotion to the Creator and Savior God is the way that God intended all people to live in this life, in this creation. It makes sense. It benefits others. It builds others up. It is the best way to live now. But only pure devotion to the God of the Bible holds the promise for the life to come. Only faith in Jesus will get you to heaven. This is why pure devotion in Hinduism or Islam or Buddhism cannot get you anywhere because only Jesus died and rose and ascended to heaven to lead the way and to guide us there, to bring us there, right? So, so here's my one sentence, a quick explanation why. Now, let's come back. Paul says godliness is crucial, especially considering the impact the insincere and insensitive false teachers had in Ephesus, their ungodly example and their demonic teaching plunged people in ruin. And so Paul is writing directly to Timothy and says, that is why your example matters. That is why it really, really matters. You, Timothy, have to be different than these false teaching guys. That is why his, verse 11, command and teaching has to be about godliness. Godliness in the four following ways. So this is where we're going. To today. First, example, verse 12, instruction, verse 13, 
Git, verse 14, and progress, verse 15. So, Christians and Timothy has to be different in these four ways. Firstly, example, then verse 12. Timothy has to set the believer's example. Literally, the word means type. Now, when Ephesians look at Timothy, they should say, yeah, this is my type of pastor because of his speech, because of his behavior, because of his love, because of his faith and purity. Timothy has to put all his weight on it because he certainly wasn't the type of pastor for all people in Ephesus. Now, there were some, verse 12, who were looking down on him. Well, let's, let's, let's call him Hercules, okay? That's an illustration that we can sort of take. Let's call him Hercules, the senior Ephesian church member. Now, he is a serious guy. He was there when Paul planted the church. Imagine that. He sat under the teaching for the three and a half years you know, under this great, great apostle. And now, when, the, when Paul is gone, then he's away, he looks at this young Timothy in his 30s and says, Oh, you look a bit pale, mate. Are you sure you know what you're doing? And so Timothy kind of you know, plunges. Um, when I was, when I was um, serving in this big church in my 30s, one Sunday I was approached by this senior lady. Well, she took a good look at my build and said, Pastor, I think you should not fast this Easter. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not going to see you at all. I'm glad Andres shows a similar concern for me on Wednesday Bible studies and forces me to eat. Anyways, this is not me whining and complaining about my, you know, hard times of being um, treated accordingly, verse 12, not at all. I actually do not intend this passage to make about me, okay? Yes, I know Paul really talks to Timothy, so he talks to the pastor, he talks to the elder of the church, however... If you have already uh, settled for this passage, not really being about you, it's about him, then I'm going to upset you guys. It has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with us, okay? Now, why? Let, let, me, let me substantiate my claim. A few verses before, in verse 6, glance, Paul says, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Now, of course, Paul says that to Timothy, but the word servant in this sentence is not for overseer or elder. It's not for presbyter. It's for deacon, a simple servant. So that, broadly speaking, puts all Christians so, you know, on the spectrum. So it's for all of us, really. We all should be asking the same question, Am I, am I an example? Or are people going to see Jesus when they look at, at me? As I devote myself to Jesus more and more, people should see the change in my speech, in my behavior, in my love, in my faith, 
and purity. Let's go quickly through these through these words so that we understand what they what they sort of refer to. Speech. Am I kind and gracious in the way I talk to people? Do I patiently listen to people when they talk? Conduct. Do I exercise self-control with people? Not being too hot-headed or impatient? Love. Love. When others look at me, will they say he or she loves people? Now, what makes them say that? Faith. Do I persevere well in the struggles and battles of this life? Do people see the gospel being the anchor in the storms of my life? And finally, purity. Do I govern my thoughts, my feelings, my, my emotions? Will others say it is well with his or her soul? Or will they say, oh, he or she is a troubled soul? <coughs> of course, guys, we all have to do some reflecting here, don't we? At least I do. You know, I, as I was reading, reflecting on, on these, on these uh, instructions, really, I had to ask questions. Am I always kind and gracious to my wife? Am I always patient and gentle with my children? You know, I have some repenting to do. What about you? Friends, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to sound a legalist here, no. All I'm saying is, we should deeply care for Jesus' reputation as we seek to live for Him in all the areas of our lives. People should say, Hey, look, look what knowing Jesus does for a person. Oh, that's amazing. Example. Now, secondly, instruction verse 13. Go on to verse 13. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scriptures, to exhortation, to teaching. At the heart of Timothy's ministry, should be reading scriptures out loud and passionately teaching what they say. Now, we often take these things for granted here in the 21st century, don't we? Now, in Timothy's time, scriptures not, were not widely accessible to people. Not all, not a lot of people could actually read. There was a great illiteracy. Even less people could read the scriptures well. So that was up to Timothy, someone like Timothy, to do. Again, we have a psalm reading here at Grace Church, reading one. And then we have a sermon passage read to us each Sunday. And we can even follow the reading in our Bibles or in our devices. And sometimes, you know, just sometimes, we get a little itchy when the reading is just too long, in our opinion, doesn't it? But think what a privilege it is when the Bible is clearly read and taught, the voice of God is heard. What a privilege. Is that how, you know, is that how we get ready ourselves for the Sunday, Sunday morning service? You know, I, I can't wait to get to the grace space 
for this reason. I can't wait to hear God the Creator speaking to me today. And it should be, right? It should be. And how should that shape our approach to the public reading of scriptures on Sunday? Which was very well done by, by Denner, I think. To meditate and rehearse the reading well. It's such a privilege, it's such a responsibility. When the Bible is clearly read and taught, we hear the voice of God. Now, Paul sees that of uttermost importance in the church. Again, verse 13, until I come, devote, devote yourself, Timothy. It has to be a sincere and set discipline for him. If he and others should benefit from it. Now, I, I think people are aware that pastors are generally busy. I, I think they are. But they often think that pastors are busy with all sorts of things but the Bible. And then on top of being mainly busy with all sorts of other things, they give a quick you know, 20 minutes talk on the top of their head on Sunday. So they're wondering what the pastors are really doing. Yeah. Now, how does verse 13 change the way we think about what the pastor should be doing, really? Devoted instructor. Gift, verse 14. Paul continues saying, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Most likely, Paul refers here to the ordination of Timothy. I don't think it was a big, a big ceremony or something. Paul gives us actually a little insight of what that was. There were some elders present, there were some words said, there were some hands being laid on, and thus Timothy was set apart for the Bible teaching ministry. Simple as that. What appears to be uh, going on here, though, is that the divine and spiritual reality is confirmed by men. I think that's what's important here. In Timothy's case, the spiritual gift of teaching is confirmed by the elders both in word, such as prophecy, and in laying on of hands. The emphasis, however, here is on the gift of God. It's a gift of God. Because of its, its enormous value, because of its enormous significance, Timothy is not to neglect it. No, I'm sure, I'm not sure why, why he would. Is it because of verse 12 and some looking down on him? Um, you know, just saying, oh, this youngster, he has too big of a shoes to fill, meaning Apostle Paul. Or is it something else? Either way, Timothy is not to neglect the gift of preaching and teaching. So I, I think we, we, we all should be sad. We all should be sad when this happens. 
I can think of a number of pastors in my life who have pulled out of the Bible teaching ministry in the local church and going doing something else. It just makes me think of um, of Paul's fellow worker Demas. When you will read 2 Timothy, there in chapter 4, Paul refers to his fellow worker Demas, who was in the gospel ministry with him. And now Paul says he fell in love with this present world and left him, went to Thessalonica. Now Paul doesn't say he stopped being Christian. It's just he stopped being focused on what he was called to do. Well, we should be sad when pastors stop teaching the Bible and go to, to, to Ethiopia to plant trees or whatever. But, but I, think, I think we're meant to also be looking more broadly, friends. If you are a Christian, you have a gift. Okay? If you are a Christian, God has given you a gift and not one alone. It might be more. Do you know what gift do you have? Have you thought about that? It can be, yes, it can be a gift of teaching, but it can be a gift of prayer. It can be a gift of encouragement. It can be a gift of um, hospitality or administration or music. Many other gifts can be there. Now, how do you know what uh, a gift you have? Most likely, someone else in the church, at some point, has recognized it, confirmed it, you know, tapped on your shoulder. I think that's how you know what kind of gift you have. Now, here is a, a word of wisdom, hopefully. If you think you have a gift of leading singing on Sundays, but you are the only person in the church who thinks that, then probably feel free to neglect this gift. Just feel free to do that. Keep it between you and the Lord. Otherwise, if people say, I think, I think you're actually gifted with this, do not neglect it, okay? Do not neglect it. If it is a gift from the Lord, it will be confirmed by others, it shouldn't be neglected. It should be used. Now, a, a quick summary. Timothy has to set example to believers. Um, in, in, contrast, in contrast to the insincere and insensitive false teachers in, in Ephesus, his life and teaching have to point to Jesus. Right? It has to point to Jesus. So Timothy has to be making progress, verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So pure devotion to Jesus, to preaching and teaching, using the, the, the gift of God well, will not advance you know, just naturally by itself. Progress comes with practice. Timothy has to practice these things. And Paul uses the word immerse himself in them. That's a wonderful way of referring to it. It requires discipline. It requires focus. It requires priorities set right. It requires wholehearted devotion. Again, immerse yourself. 
I accompany my youngest son to his swimming pool lessons. The aim of the lessons is to learn to swim. In order for that to happen, he has to actually go into the water, right? He has to immerse himself. Friends, this is the only way to practice swimming, to learn swimming. Otherwise, we shouldn't be calling that swimming. Now, whatever it is, speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, reading the Bible, praying, leading music, being hospitable, teaching the small group, preaching, just name it, practice it. Whatever it is, practice it. Immerse yourself in it. Binge it rather than the next hot thing on Netflix. I am sorry for this slang. But if it sinks, just remember it. Practice it. Immerse yourself in it. Now there is a reason why Paul wants Timothy to set believers an example and continue practicing these things. Verse 15. There's a reason for it. So that all may see your progress. Progress. Now, in contrast to the negative progress of the false teachers' uh, life and doctrine in the church in Ephesus, Timothy is to show a positive growth. <clears throat> what? Well, it was actually a big relief for me as I was thinking about that this week. It says that I'm not supposed and I'm not expected to show a sinless life. I think it should be a, a real relief for all of us. Now, who can produce a spotless, sinless life? But Jesus. Well, perhaps that was exactly what the false teachers claimed, you know? The, the resurrection has already arrived. You know, we are already there. We are, you know, perfect. Maybe. I don't have to be flawless Superman. I simply have to show progress. People should say, he's making progress. So are you making progress in kind talk, in patient action, in sincere love, in enduring faith, and in, in a purity? Are you making progress? Well, I think well, it is, well, well, this is very challenging. I think it is always com it's all also comforting. Knowing that Christian life is more of a marathon rather than sprint. Jesus is so patient with us. So while we should be proactive, my friends, we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves uh, when, when we say, you know, my, my progress seems to be almost unexistent in this phase of life. Let's be patient also with ourselves, but let's be proactive. Practice these things. Immerse ourselves in these godly, godly things. Now let me close uh, this morning with a word of caution and a word of encouragement from verse 16. Glance at verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this fall. By so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Firstly, a word of caution. Keep a close watch on yourself. You are in charge of your training in godliness. Let me, let me say it again. You are in charge of your training 
in godliness. Your pure devotion, your practice of these things. I know it sounds kind of obvious from this passage, but in this therapeutic, therapeutic age, it is very easy for us to start blame shifting, you know, on others. I'm not making any progress in my life because of the environment in, in you know, around me, or the company of people I'm with constantly, or I'm not making progress because of my boss, he's too harsh or demanding or whatever. I'm, make, I'm not making progress because of my party or weekend doormates, you know, they just don't help me. What I mean is, let's keep an eye on each other is a good thing, by all means. Prayer, accountability, group, or a person is a very, very good thing. But at the end of the day, you cannot delegate, keep a close watch on yourself to others. You simply cannot do it. When you stand before Jesus, your accountability partner is not going to be there holding your hand. It's you and Jesus. And Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself. So that's a word of, of, of caution. Now, it might be just today that you are getting slightly nervous about this whole thing becoming a bit too worksy. It's all about me doing things. Well, especially considering verse 16b, glance persist in this for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So you're getting slightly nervous, and that's good, that's good. So here's the word of encouragement as we close. Godly progress is rooted in the gospel promise. Godly progress is rooted in the gospel pro uh, promise. It actually flows out of it. Glance back at chapter 4, verse 8. 4 verse 8. Godliness is of value in every way. And now hear these words. As it holds promise. It doesn't say as, uh, as you earn or as you make uh, the best effort of your life. No, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Brothers and sisters, our pure devotion to Jesus does indeed manifest. It manifests in speech, in conduct, love, purity, but it flows out of our confession of the gospel. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save me, to save a sinner like me. And that promise is the promise that we hold on to. We really hold on to this promise in this life and also for the life to come. That is where our godliness flows out of. So, actually our example should be grace-saturated. It shouldn't be, you know, a puffed up legalist, pleased with myself example, never. It always is grace-saturated. It's because of Jesus I have a privilege and responsibility to live this life. So, let's point to Jesus. Let's keep first trusting the promise of Jesus. And then let's, let's point with our lives to Jesus. Let's pray now.
close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. Four. By so doing, you will save both yourself and your healers. Heavenly Father, we do not presume at all to be able to live a godly life that reflects your precious gospel and what you have done for us in our own strength. Father, please, please uh, forgive us those times when we, we felt really pleased with ourselves, that we are really a model people on our own, looking down on others. Please forgive us and please remind us that it is because of Jesus coming into this world to save us we can be even thinking about uh, being an example, being able to instruct people, being able to exercise our gift, and making any progress in this life. So Father, make us really humble as we seek to live for you, as we seek to talk to people about you, as we seek to serve you today and in this coming week. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.